Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, my name is Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Lint Podcast. It's Black Friday this week and that means you've probably been crawling the internet for the best deals you can on those must-have products you need. But are there any insider tips to help you get the most out of what you want to achieve? Pocalint affiliate director Rob Kerr, who spends an unhealthy amount of time looking for the best deals there are, is here to tell us some of his insider secrets. Plus, I talked to celebrity photographer Greg Williams about his new candid photography course that promises to give people the right skills to take a great photo in any situation, any time. And Dan and Max on the team join me to talk electric bikes. Are they any good? Should you get one? And if so, which one should you get? But Rob, let's go back to you now. What are your top three tips for shopping online this holiday season? Best tips. Follow Pocket Links. We'll be covering the best deals UK and US, the ones that will save you the money. But just don't think about buying Black Friday gifts for yourself. Think about Christmas time. And you're around the corner. Bound to be good deals around for that alone. And the key one is to follow the home pages of the retailers besides us. That's prime real estate. Think of it as um, a billboard on a highway or a motorway. And for a deal to be there, it costs a lot to put up. It's definitely worth your attention and worthwhile clicking out to see. Um, And also follow our squirrels. We have retailer widgets all over Pocketlin that show you the best prices and the comparison against the next retailer. So you know if it's a good deal or not. And then think about your own company. Your own company often has gift cards or allowances when discounts with the likes of John Lewis Curry's Best Buy, Walmart, Target. You might have to might charge those cards with, say, £10 or $10 and get $2 or £2 off. Think about using those. Think about expanding it more towards looking at eBay um, for best discounts besides Amazon. And with Amazon alone, um, often the price on the page may not be the one you want to click upon. Um, you can drop down a box and see the retailers they're offering it. Some of them get a cheaper price. Some of them um, offer next day delivery if you're a prime. So capitalize on that. And if you're a prime customer, don't forget the money you spend each year. Capitalize on that and get free delivery with that sort of service. And so this is the, when you're talking about Amazon here, this is what they're talking about as the best buy box, isn't it? And that's sometimes... You know, a lot of criticism over the years of that might not necessarily be the cheapest box. Can you just explain why that's still a good a good thing to click on, or should you go into the multiple prices to see if there's a cheaper deal? Yes, the Best Buy box is an algorithm put together by Amazon based upon um, the retailer, its feedback, its history. So often, it's, it's a pretty good price, and to save you clicking and doing hours of research. Um, and if you're a prime customer, that deal will be highlighted as a prime deal. So the, the £79 or whatever you pay in the US, you can capitalise on that uh, without spending any more for delivery. Cool. And will you be uh, tempted to be buying anything this Black Friday week? Well, Christmas is around the corner. So 
ideal time for my presence for family and loved ones. Um, I certainly will be. Um, potentially a new TV because mine's currently about five years old. Still to come, Dan and Max talk electric bikes. But in certainly, you know, any kind of small incline just disappears, you know. Um, and I think that's that's the difference between the, the sort of mid-range and more premium bikes as opposed to, like Max said, the sort of cheaper, in, inver in inverted commas, because they're not that cheap, um, electric bikes that don't sort of provide that that kick straight away. You've probably seen and enjoyed Greg Williams' photos without even realising it. The British photographer has shot poster campaigns for four Bond movies, including the upcoming No Time to Die, and is habitually found backstage at film awards like the Oscars and BAFTAs, and is also a regular contributor to British Vogue and Vanity Fair. He's now keen to share how he gets Hollywood to smile and react for his photos with an online candid photography course on skillsfaster.com. The idea, according to the photographer, is to give people the right skills to take a great photo in any situation, any time. I started by asking him to tell us the mistakes most of us make when it comes to faking photos with our smartphones. Uh, I think the mistake most people make, in my opinion, is that they don't really engage in any thought about the photo they're taking. They, they tend to sit down and see something and stay seated. They don't get up and move. They don't actually look at how the light is falling on the subject. They don't think about how they're composing. They just lift their hand, shoot the picture, or worse still, zoom because they can't be bothered to get up. And that's their photo. And, you know, invariably there's a lamppost sticking out of someone's head or, um, you know, someone's wearing a bright orange hoodie behind the subject, which means your eye goes to the hoodie instead of the subjects. And they basically just don't think. They don't engage brain. Um, and, you know, something that I... Uh, try and encourage people to do is literally just pause for a second and give some thought to what the photo is and what the story they're trying to tell is with their picture without just sort of randomly taking anything. And so with it, with it that, and, and I know you take, you know, you specialize in taking, you know, pictures of, of kind of not intimate moments, but getting people to react to the camera have you got like three great tips? I, I, I know you've got a photo skills course and I don't want you to give away everything. No, 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 <laughs> that. But can you at least give us three kind of cool tips that people should just think? And if they can think, as you say, for that brief moment before they take a picture, how they would improve their photography? Well, I think, I, I think the first thing does start with light. I think if you imagine if, you know, if someone's sitting by a window are they facing the window or is their back to the window how are we going to you know how how are we lighting the picture that we're taking and i i really believe if you as soon as you think about light you're starting to think like a photographer um i uh one massive thing i'd urge people to do if they're using their phones is to learn to use the exposure mode and you know it's one thing when we when we do talk about um the new iPhone 12 Pro, the ability to really completely, um, completely control your exposure now on a sliding scale with your thumb that locks and you can change it as and as and when you choose is huge. Because again, if someone's sitting against a window, for instance, and you're mm. shooting them into the window, 
the way that a phone or a phone's camera, or sorry, any automatic camera works is it makes a sort of mid-gray of everything. So if the windows are white and it makes a mid-gray of everything, then your subject is going to turn into a silhouette. So the simple act of looking at the lights and then adjusting the exposure on the camera in order to uh, expose for your subject rather than the entire picture is a huge tip. And of the, the course that I'm uh, putting out at the moment, it's the biggest thing that people react to. It's so insanely simple, but um, it's just something that most of us don't do. And do you think it's do you think it's 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 that? And then obviously just working out is there other things that they can do to make you know so get the light, start thinking about the light, press tap on the screen to expose on the subject rather than just letting the camera try and work it out. Yeah, and then, well, I'd say the other, if we talk about something less technical and much more heartfelt for a minute, you know, I think of photography as sort of creating memories, recording memories. And there's a lot of people that just observe with a camera. And something I do a lot of is I, I'm a participant in my pictures. And, you know, photographing sort of, big actors and stuff, there is a lot of, uh, I suppose, extra pressure involved in shooting people you don't know. But for most people listening at home, they know their subjects, normally mm. their family and their friends. And what I encourage is, you know, I'm nearly always looking over my camera, trying to get eye contact, trying to get a connection with the person, trying to make them laugh or get them to in some way interact within the picture. And it does two things. Firstly, the photos have a life and an authenticity that they don't have when all you're doing is posing. And they also, I suppose, somehow document the photographer as well as the photo. Because if you've got photos of people just all laughing together and, and, and you sense that they're laughing with the person behind the camera, you right. can... You, you, you sense that person in all their images. And so, you know, I, I've now hit a point in my work that people go, oh, that must have been taken by Greg Williams. And the reason they're saying that for the most part is because of the reactions that I'm getting out of people that they're seeing within the photo. So it's like I'm reflected in the photo. And do you find, I, I saw you've got on your skills course, you have got that whole section about participation versus observation. Yeah. And it's kind of this idea of you almost playing peekaboo from behind the camera. Yeah. Well, it you... yeah, especially, you know, like if I'm at a, you know, if you're at an award show, if you're at the Oscars and someone comes off for their award and you kind of, you do sort of, uh, I my eyes sort of ping out of my head trying to get some form of a connection from them because they're so completely... I suppose, bedazzled by everything that's just happened to them. Um, so, yes, that's true. And so what what tech, what kind of cameras do you use? Do you use... I use Leicas. Know. I use the Leica Q2, which is has a fixed 28mm lens, which is the camera that I do. Everything that's close and sort of wide and interactive is shot with that camera. And then I use the Leica SL2, normally with a 75 or a 90 mil lens. And those are my portrait lenses. 
and they're not particularly long lenses. I particularly like the 75 because I can sort of be at the same distance that I stand to people on my 28 when I'm getting a wider shot. And then I can lift the 75 without having to step back and I'm shooting portraits. So they're the, they're the cameras that I use on most of my professional work. And then I take photos with my iPhone every day. I mean, I'm, you know, there are often stories that I'll put out and, you know, there will be a number of the shots are taken on a phone within an editorial. And how have you found using the, the, the 12 Pro Max? Because obviously, you know, I've been reviewing it myself. It's, you know, the cameras are, are very good. They've kind of advanced on from the 11. It feels like there's a lot of processing going on with AI and all the other stuff. And do you, when you transfer from the Leicas, which are very lovely cameras, to the phone, do you feel limited or is it getting, is it now getting, well, I tell you that, what, that limitation I, I getting different? I feel very limited. And I mean, certainly with the 12 Pro Max, I felt very little limits. Um, there's still something in the, functionality of holding a phone how you shoot you know how you hold a phone while taking the pictures is not the easiest most or you know um most user-friendly thing because it's effectively still a phone it's not a camera um but outside of that the uh i i always believe that a camera needs to do a couple of things and, and one is allow you to control your exposure and the other is allow you to take a picture when you push the button. So the fact that there's no shutter delay on these things and that I've now got control over my exposure. Um, I also detest zoom lenses. So for me to have these three lenses without, it's a bit like my Leica situation. My, my 28 is the standard and my 75 is the telephoto. Um, yeah. The ultra wide I enjoy, but it is too wide in my opinion. I, I often end out, zooming it in a bit and it's a it's great and now the 12 corrects the um what's it called the oh the, the curvature at the, the yeah, edges isn't it the, the yeah which is an improvement but it's still a very wide lens you know it'd be probably comparable to something like an 18 mil lens on a 35 mil camera and i just never really use 18 mil lenses unless i'm trying to create some mad old 60s sort of hmm. feeling black and white Bill Brandt mad shoot, but but that's not my my style. So I do like the ultra wide, but I do tend to zoom in probably about a third of the way um, and make it more like a sort of a 21 or a 24 than, than, than it is when it's ultra wide, when it's super wide. Like the old fashioned pancake lenses. Exactly, exactly that. Cool. Now there's, moving on from... Uh, the phone specifically and, and, and the tech is there seems to be obviously this general with Instagram and, and things like that. A lot of people now are expected to edit their photos a lot more, if not slap a couple of filters on over filter it to, to death and all the other stuff. Do you feel that's damaging the way that we're taking photography or do you feel actually that's helpful to lots of people because it allows them to correct some of the mistakes they've either made or enhance the pictures that they're, they're doing? I think it comes down to taste and, you know, whether, you know, if you have a certain taste, you're going to over-retouch your pictures, over-sharpen them, over, you know, over-filter them. 
Um, and and it, to me, it's about, I do all my editing, literally listening to a, a, an emotional little voice in my chest now. And I, I, I think the, the best advice I give people in editing pictures is to try and take, you know, make the end result a picture that you believe. If you look at all the best art, photography, music, filmmaking, writing, all art, base, the, the success of most great art comes in its authenticity. And so mm. as soon as you've over-filtered your pictures, you've lost your authenticity and you kind of lose your audience. It's like, yeah, that's all right. But, you know, it's not, I, I don't believe it. So I always look for a beating heart in my photos. And it's something I talk a lot about on the Skills Faster course is this idea that, you know, you want to recall. It's not about recording your best life. It's about recording your life. Because when you look back on it, you know, if you had a, I don't know if, you know, life isn't just fun, right? And I yeah. think there's something about looking back on life, you know, when you're older and going, God, that's the life I lived, not that's the life I pretended to live. So I'm I'm a big encourager of um, editing with your heart and also definitely not to edit the picture you thought you were taking. You've got to edit the photo you took. And there's a huge difference there because a lot of us have a great idea in our mind for a picture. Right. And we get so stuck in it that if we don't succeed in pulling it off, we're still looking for that photo and you're often missing the gems that you did take. You know, it's very interesting for me. I, I've been going back during lockdown. I went back through a lot of my old work um, and re-edited my shoots and found photos. There was this particular shot I I found of Robert Downey Jr. that I never looked at twice when I shot it 10 years ago. And all the pictures I was editing at the time were all very cinematic and quite contrived. And, you know, and, and, and now I, I look with a, new, a fresh set of eyes, which is a weird thing to say. I'm 48. And right. it's like I'm, I only kind of found my proper voice as a photographer, I'd say, in the last five years. Cool. And so the final question for you is, is how long do you think it will be before your phone replaces your Leicas? Um, that's a good question. I think they're not there yet. I think there is, it's incredible what um, these digital processes are able to do. You know, the portrait mode, you know, one amazing thing on the iPhone is being able to control the depth of field. So you shoot mm. the picture in portrait and then you can change your f-stop afterwards in editing. And that it, it's an astonishing thing, but it's still somehow not optical. And I still do love optics. So I think it's going to be a while, but I don't think it's long. You know, I think, I think it will certainly happen in the next 10 years um, to, to an extent. To an extent. I don't know. There's something else with the Leicas that there's just an aesthetic that I love so much. There's a there's a sort of usability to it. There's a there's something about how uh, a subject reacts to that camera, to this little black Leica, and the fact that I take it everywhere and no one thinks of it as anything professional. So I don't know. I'm I'm not going to hand my Leicas up for a while. <laughs> but I do. But but but. As for 
are phones are phones going to be good enough to work professionally? I would argue that they are now. I've had um, through the, there's a sort of uh, community on uh, Skills Faster that where people ask us questions and a big question has been, look, I want something better than my phone, but I can't go professional and I want to spend 500 quid. And I'm like, there isn't a camera you can buy for 500 quid that's as good as the iPhone, I don't believe. E-bikes have quickly become all the rage for those that want to enjoy cycling but need a little bit of assistance. That's right, reaping all the benefits of removability and access with the added bonus of an electric motor to assist you as your pedal or take charge entirely. Once you try an electric bike, it can be pretty difficult to return to the dark ages of moving around yourself and, well, pedaling. Max, Dan and I have been riding different models over the last couple of weeks to see what it's all like. So Dan, let's start with you. You've been using the Cowboy 3. What's that all about? Yeah, it was brilliant, actually. I really enjoyed riding it. Um, it's it's not a cheap bike. It's £1,990. Um, so, it, you know, you could, you could say it was positively mid-range, as I said in the review. Um, but we did give it five stars. We, we did really, you know, we really like it. Um, it's it's a little different from some others on the market. It um, it's it's very much a commuter bike. Um, it's also got a removable battery, so you can take the battery with you, which is a key a key differentiator between numerous other bikes. Yes. Um, now, Max, on that note, Max, you've been you've been trying a few of these bikes, and I know you've had problems in the past, haven't you, with the ability not to move remove the the battery and the fact that you live in a flat that's right yeah uh, there are plenty of us uh, whether in london or other cities that don't have the, uh, the luxury of, of uh, garages or, or indeed bike sheds um so storing a bike uh, and charging it uh, are two very different things um and a removable battery in my experience so far is is one of the absolute best things that an e-bike can include right now it's also a big challenge obviously I think uh, clearly a lot of the companies are struggling to find ways to, to get a removable uh, battery in a frame that's still lightweight and indeed uh, small. But if you can get it in there, like they've managed with the Cowboy, um, it's just an absolute boon. Being able to leave the frame outside and bring the battery into charge uh, is kind of quite a significant change for the whole experience. Makes it so much easier to fit into your actual life, which is uh, <laughs> worth the price of admission. Right, so there we go. So, and the one I've been using, I've been using the Specialist uh, Levo SL, uh, which why I was laughing at your cheap price, Dan. Mine, the one I've been trying, ranges from five and a half thousand pounds up to twelve and a half thousand pounds, if uh, you really want that, and does come with a removable battery. But it's not an easy removable battery, from what I can tell so far. You kind of have got to get tools out and, and all the other stuff which mm. kind of then sort of starts defeating the point i think yeah the, um, the cowboy has a you know, has a physical key that you can basically unlock the battery with um and the the, the benefit of it is it as well you can sort of manually uh disable and enable the bike by removing the battery um because one of the things about the cowboy is it um it actually it comes with an app there's numerous smart features, and one of those is as you approach the bike with your Bluetooth-enabled mobile device, um, it unlocks the bike. Oh, the issue, clever. It is clever. The issue there is that if your phone is out of battery, um, you know there is there is a problem. But they've actually got this manual override where you can unlock the battery and lock it back in within 20 seconds now, and that um, yeah, that 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 solves the problem there. Now, one of the things I found that was most interesting about riding electric bikes 
doing that. So is 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 this kind of power assistedness of it all? It's not that you just jump on a bike and press the button and off you zoom. You've still got to do some work, um, but it just it it made things a lot easier. Did did you find that, Max? Yeah, power power assist is kind of it's it's the key thing that I'm testing often when I'm riding a bike, and it's actually one of the biggest variable uh, variables between the really premium models and some of the slightly cheaper options on the market. So often what will happen is, in fact, all the time, just with varying windows, you'll start pedaling and then pretty swiftly afterwards, the, the motor will kick in to kind of give you a bit of a boost. So when you're at a stop at a red light, uh, when you start cycling, you'll get a much quicker acceleration out of it, which is extremely nice, uh, especially uh, on hills, as, as Stuart alluded to earlier. Uh, however, as I say, uh, some of the nicer models that kick in will be really smooth and fast and responsive and you'll be kind of you'll have a feeling of control as you cycle on some of the slightly less impressive models that uh, that that kick in of power can be a little bit delayed. And that can actually even at times feel a little bit risky as you're uh, riding around. If it's hard to predict when the assist is going to kick in that can start to feel like you're no longer fully in control of your speed, uh, which is a, a major factor, um, especially riding around central London, as I do, with uh, plenty of buses to navigate around. Yeah, because I found, I, with the Specialized, it's obviously it's a mountain bike, so it's designed, you know, there's front suspension, rear suspension, dropper seats, you know, all the other bits. There's three levels of of electricity, so to speak, assistance for you. And then furthermore, the app, which I thought was quite clever, allows you to set it and say, you can actually can then connect it to a heart rate monitor and say, well, okay, if my heart rate goes over this, then start helping me to, you know, with the electric, but otherwise yeah, keep it right. toned down, which I thought was quite a nice way of kind of implying it. I must admit going out with the kids, they were struggling on their kind of on their bikes. And I was just sort of like, almost like just slowly drifting past them, you know, wanting to sort of smoke a cigar and just go, hello, how are you kind of thing, which they didn't really enjoy. <laughs> but, um, but it was that kind of. I suppose that's the difficult thing. Have you have you found that with the cowboy and others, Dan? Yeah, I have actually. Um, but the, I mean, the cowboy was very responsive. I mean, the acceleration on it was was pretty impressive. You know, you to go, you even start going, and it sort of boosts you straight away. Um, uh, in fact, there was only one one particular hill that was quite steep that it really didn't provide enough assistance on everything else. It, it did. <laughs> but. but um, you know, I think that's a symbol of yourself, isn't it? There. Yeah, maybe. Um, well, I, I guess I, I guess I'll, I'll sort of explain that a bit further. It was quite a steep hill, and I was expecting it to provide more assistance than it actually did. Right. right. Because um, where this particular hill was had a dip before it, I'd obviously sort of slowed down quite a lot to get to that bo- the bottom of the dip, and then I was basically asking it to to kick in straight away to, to go up this quite steep hill. So there was a sort of caveat there, I guess. But in certainly, you know, any kind of small incline just disappears, you know. Um, and I think that's that's the difference between the, the sort of mid-range and more premium bikes, as opposed to, like Max said, the sort of cheaper, in, inver- in inverted commas, because they're not that cheap, um, electric bikes that don't sort of provide that, that kick straight away. Hmm. And so, Max, who do you think the electric bikes are for? To my mind, I'm still not convinced that they're for anyone other than city commuters. I think that firstly, a lot of the uh, the most impressive companies are actually coming out of cities like Amsterdam and other European capitals that have kind of delightful bike routes and, and, and a lot of flat ground. 
Um, but also, I think in terms of cost and in terms of, as Dan says, what they can cope with in terms of terrain, it seems to me that the best possible purchase uh, kind of reason is if you're cycling a, a moderate distance to work and you want that to be an easy journey. This is great for days out and it's great for kind of taking a quick ride around if you fancy fresh air. But the real value, I think, comes if you've got a journey that's just tiring you out a bit to and from work or making you turn up sweaty. Um, and you want that to go easy, in which case uh, some of the some of the models out there are absolutely brilliant for that now. Um, hmm. Yeah, I mean the range the range is an interesting one as well, isn't it? Because the the Cowboys got seventy uh, so well, seventy kilometers of range, um, which is which is quite significant, and would would probably see most people through even if they're commuting, uh, you know, quite a moderate distance to work. Then that would, that would see them through the week. Um, but obviously, you know, some of the cheaper bikes as well, they don't have that, they don't have a lot of range. So you're, you're having to charge it all the time. And is that going to be worth it? You know, so it's, it, it, it sort of seems like the sort of mid range to premium market is actually, if, if you can afford it, is actually worth that extra outlay really. Yeah. Cause I kind of found, you know, cycling with family and stuff, it was, it was difficult because I was, wasn't finding it difficult at all <laughs> because I was being power system. We'd, I've, I've only just kind of recently got it so we've done done about 20k on it so far and the battery hasn't even moved on that side of things it, it felt to me that it was kind of certainly from a mountain bike perspective it was it was kind of it focused your mind on the technicality of the ride rather than the 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 need to be fit to do that ride so there's a, a bike route near me which i'm hoping to go out next week on which it kind of takes me you know it's five or six miles to it and so it would allow me to very easily get to that that ride start, you know, where the technicality of the ride comes, enjoy that ride, and then still not feel that I'm absolutely shattered to then cycle home again, which is kind of a, a, an approach that you're talking about, Max, on the commute side of things. I also wonder whether this is whether e-bikes have this kind of market that's sort of suited for an older audience that a kind of want to get out and enjoy a cycle ride, but feel that they aren't fit enough to be able to do that without, you know, without feeling that after a mile and a half or something, two miles, you kind of like, oh, I'm tired and done. And this kind of allows you to take that that leisurely bike ride for sort of 10, 15K without feeling, without having the same sort of weakness, you know, weakness in your health kind of, of like not being fit enough to do that effectively and not that you can be, be painful the next day. For sure, I think. And also, obviously, there are plenty of reasons right now why people might not want to get onto public transport um, or, or take other forms of transport. And I think that uh, e-bikes are kind of perfect for that for that need. Um, as you say, it kind of turns what could be a slightly foreboding journey into something that won't tire you out at all, which is perfect, really. Cool. And so I suppose the ultimate goal, I, mean, I know they're more pricey than uh, pricier than, than a regular non-powered assisted bike. Um, would you be tempted to to get one? I every e-bike that I've reviewed well, I've been sort of hard pressed to give up. So uh, the cost needs to come down a lot. I don't think there's any uh, getting around that for for the average person. These are out of reach. Um, but certainly, if that does happen, yeah, I'm I'm a convert. Yeah, I I really you know with the, with the cowboy in particular, I was sort of thinking, oh, I I could really I would really like to order one of these. And I th I think there's a there's the with this particular bike there was there's a lot of value extra value added features with the the sort of smart features as well. There's like um, crash detection as well. If you fall off the bike, it will send your loved one a text and that kind of thing. Um, so that so with 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 some of the more premium bikes, there are 
there are these extra features that do make do 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 you know sort of add quite a lot of extra value so i think that, that it's it will become a no-brainer it's still sort of a quite a quite a decision to spend that kind of money on a bike at the moment but you know in a few years time it will be quite natural i think yeah I, I, the only th- i i really liked it and i'm really enjoying it and i can see exactly you know what it is my only fear is that sometimes in the back of my mind when i was when i've been cycling on it i feel i'm cheating and i don't know like i don't know why because i'm still pedaling and i'm still like putting in the effort but i kind of like it depends whether you want fitness or whether you want a means to an end, doesn't it? And that's, that's yeah. sort of where, um, you know, that's where, where, as we were saying, with commuter bikes, it's it's a, you know, it is a benefit because you, you know, yeah, you, because you you're not, there. you're trying to get from A to B, aren't yeah. you, rather than yeah. trying to be fit. And I suppose with the mountain bike that I've got, you kind of feel that you should be exercising harder because you're on a mountain bike and therefore you're out for a, you know, a ride rather rather than, you know, for exercise rather than because you're trying to get from A to B. I, I do find, I did find that in some instances it was easier to increase the electric power assistance to to get me up a hill or whatever rather than what i would normally do on a traditional bike which is just change the gears down um i found i didn't i'm finding i'm, I'm not changing my gears as much because you just think oh, i'll just I'll, I'll boost this little bit with with a power assist rather than that way i think there's also something in what you talked about earlier that there's a, there's a there's a factor where sometimes you can feel a little bit antisocial uh, when you're on an e-bike, especially if you're cycling with anyone else who isn't on one, which is obviously going to be the case for most of us for a long while. So whether you're cycling past strangers uh, just a bit faster than them without putting any effort in, you feel a bit like a cheater. But also if you're out, you know, with a loved one on a bike ride, you are slightly having to think, well, I better not go too fast here because for me, it's going to cost absolutely no effort or calories. And for them, they're actually sweating to keep up. Uh, so I know what you mean. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, pip pip. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.